Well, I'll tell you, this is a very exciting um, interview for us and Michael Korkos. Um, the Polished, well, Polished is the name of your book, Modern Vegetarian Cooking from Global Poland. And it is, there's a surprise on every page. It's a wonderful cookbook. Congratulations to you. Um, the... There's so many presumptions about Polish food, but you're in a new era of of eating in in Poland, are you not? Yes, thank you so much uh, for saying that uh, it took me two years uh, to write it, like over two years, because even one year uh, it took me to think about the idea how I like to present the modern uh, Polish cooking. Um, and we are completely correct. That's um, the new era of eating. Um, as I wrote my first cookbook, Fresh from Poland, New Zealand Cooking from uh, Old Country, right. I, realized, I realized that um, in the first cookbook, I only was able to capture the old Poland, the old recipes, the recipes I was um, raised on, um, the recipes that my grandma and mother feed me. <laughs> and my yeah, right. So, um, but really it's not the way Polish people eat these days. Uh, of course, there are like a lot of elements of these recipes and there, many of these recipes are alive, of course, but they don't, uh, they don't um, uh, appear on our menu and so often, every day. Every day, so I wanted to look closely uh, how I eat, how my friends eat, and I wanted to capture that uh, into the into a cookbook, into polished. No, no, you know, um, well, my um, my daughter-in-law is uh, Polish. Um, her, her mother um, was um, born in and uh, was Polish-born. Um, it, it's a long story, but at any rate, the the recipes that uh, her mother brought from, I guess, old Poland, was so different from the recipes oh. in your book, uh, primarily because you, of the global influence that you reflect. Do you remember the recipes she brought? Oh, I can't remember that all of them. No, but I mean, they were they were mainly the traditional ones. I mean, they they do the, the they do. Like all the the women get together and do the whole pierogi thing every holiday and the, and so forth and so on, um, but it was very meat heavy and and yours is um, more global and also um, modern in its vegetable forward emphasis. Uh, I wanted to point out, by the way, it's not vegan. This cookbook it's vegetarian, but you do have cheese in there, so it's not yeah, vegan. Yeah, I, right? I love I. I I love cheese, I love butter, and of course, one of the m- most important Polish ingredients is a farmer's cheese, faru. Oh, right. So it, uh, it appears a lot uh, in both of my cookbooks. But um, like as you mentioned, probably these uh, recipes that were brought uh, by your uh, family to the States um, may appear in my first cookbook. But in this cookbook, uh, they're completely uh, refreshed and modern, so completely new look. As, as you mentioned, um, they're vegeta- uh, vegetarian. And this is pretty surprising because 
I found many people abroad think Polish cuisine overall is very heavy, but but actually that's not the case. Uh, even in the past, perception um, comes uh, probably uh, from um, the Polish culture when Polish people used to say about our cooking to. Um, <laughs> Um, foreigners, they will they will show the most uh, luxurious recipes, and always they they were uh, meat based. Of course, they were like right. recipes for for Sunday, to for Easter, for um, like for other holidays. Um, but Poland uh, has a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of recipes. Traditional recipes are naturally vegeta- vegetarian. And uh, in the past, that was the uh, base of Polish diet because people were poor. Uh, as uh-huh. Italians uh, have right. cucina povera, the 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 cook the way the style of cooking for the oh, for right. food. They, yeah. So yeah. so we have uh, our traditional uh, we call it kuchnia chłopska, which means the um, the style of cooking from the from the village. Um, so so yes, and but these days. Um, Poland is really um, one of, especially Warsaw, the capital of Poland, is really excited about the new way of eating, like introducing the new way of preparing vegetables. Right. This is very surprising because that Warsaw is apparently one of the most vegan-friendly cities in the world, according to Hub. This is, like, this is a website, vegan website, at least such a thing, such a thing. And there are like plenty. Plenty uh, restaurants. Every even even normal restaurants uh, have plant-based options uh, in the menu. Um, in every grocery stores, you have plant-based uh, products, and of course, uh, Polish vegetables and fruits uh, are amazing, and they always been so they're available everywhere. Uh, so that's why probably um, Poland's Polish cooking is so vibrant when it comes to uh, vegetables these days and uh, being plant-based. Yeah, well, you, you know, we, we have, believe it or not, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, we have a, a, a vegan Polish restaurant. Did I you know, know Apteka. Apteka, right? Apteka, you know Apteka. I, I follow them on Instagram and I really admire them. And actually, this is a fun fact. I have never been to that restaurant, but I've been following them for years. And last year, the New York Times um, listed their dish, Celeriac uh, Schnitzel, as a, one of the best um, restaurant dishes of the year. Uh-huh. And I, I created my own recipe. I developed my own recipe based on their, uh, on this dish, on their dish, Alapteka dish, and it's included uh-huh. in this book uh, in Polish, so you can make it uh, at home. It's in this book? Yeah, it's in this book, um, in this new book, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, well, you know, I've, I've been in touch with them. They're only open a few days of the week. So, um, but what I'm hoping to do is um, have the, the owners and chefs um, record a separate interview so maybe we can play the both your interview and theirs together in the same show. Uh, just to get oh, a, great. a yeah highlight of, of the the whole repertoire of, of vegan and vegetarian Polish, 
and all the influences. I mean, you you have all these cookbooks have um, pantry listing, uh, but you know the it used to be you could probably guess at what the ingredients would be in a Polish cookbook, but yours is this is the first hint uh, you get in this book of all the global influences. I mean, you, you have all kinds of things that are not typically Polish, right? You like miso yeah. a lot. I do, too. Yeah, but, you know, miso is uh, very umami-rich, and in vegetarian cooking, it's very important to find the umami flavor to uh-huh. uh, to bring it up and uh, make the dish um, so flavorful that you don't miss uh, meat on your plate. So umami flavor is a key in vegetarian cooking, so that's why I use a lot of miso paste and uh, soy sauce, also Japanese uh, sauce, and I use a lot uh, tomato paste uh, because tomatoes are very rich in umami as well. And this is a trick. When you uh, cook uh, onion and garlic on skillet, I uh, just add a tablespoon of tomato paste and cook it two, three minutes till it's, uh, it's darkened a bit. Uh, and caramelized, and then umami flavor will uh, bring up um, and make your dish more delicious. Now, those, those tomatoes you're talking about, are they, are they grown in Poland, or are they being imported from, say, like Spain or... The, the, the tomatoes, the, tomatoes grow in Poland, uh, and every tomato um, contains umami, so whatever tomato you use, uh, it's good. But in Poland, we have marvelous tomatoes. And I have to admit, I prefer Polish tomatoes than Italian tomatoes or um, Spanish tomatoes way more. Um, They're so flavorful. And so, um, especially at the farmer's market, they are not perfect uh, when it comes to the look. So like the different shapes, maybe like with some like dirtiness but they're so sweet so f- full of flavor i don't know what's the uh, what that's what's the secret uh <laughs> but they're <laughs> so delicious yeah, now, now you have you organize your cookbook uh, very um and your whole cookbook is individualistic and ex- expressive of your personality but um it stands out in how you organize this you organize it by cooking processes instead of techniques, instead of by uh, courses or, or um, ingredients. Explain why you did that. Yeah, I um, my first cookbook was uh, organized in a more classical way um, by uh, meals, breakfast, breads, uh, main dishes, soups, and etc. But then I thought that I really enjoy cookbooks that really teach uh, you the cost, uh, cost and result effect. For example, I really love um, the cookbook by Samin Nostrat, Salafat Aksiki, to really explain the science of cooking. That wasn't my, that wasn't my goal in this cookbook, but I really wanted to uh, showcase um, cooking methods and um, really give a freedom of using them um, um, because 
in the in this cookbook in Polish, of course, there are like chapters, more basic, let's say, raw, steamed, um, uh, baked. But also, you can find the chapters like fermented or infused, uh, charred, uh, confit. So, like more like restaurant. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Confit was its best best explanation um, and, and and support for uh, confiting that I've ever read. It's really great. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's really wonderful technique. Um, the all the whatever products you use, because naturally, the French people um, they confit the meat, uh, but vegetables really get this wonderful taste. They they, their taste convey, conveys in such a beautiful way. Um, it's very unique, definitely. Um, cherry tomatoes can be, uh, they're so delicious, so delightful. Yeah, you, you really like texture a lot. I've noticed that in all your recipes. Yeah. You know, you go, yeah. yeah, yeah that's, that's correct. I really, when I think about the recipe of developing a recipe, I really think about uh, differences. Uh, I really like my perfect recipe, my perfect dish uh, is hot and cold, is soft and crunchy, is uh, spicy and sweet. So you see there are like a lot of opposite opponents, uh, opposite um, edges in my perfect recipe. So I really want to create my recipes in this way because I think it makes a recipe exciting. Like a lot, a lot of things is going on in your mouth. <laughs> uh, and I, I like I like excitement. I like the crunch. I like um, the velvety uh, texture. Yeah, like uh, more is more. As um, yeah, more is more. <laughs> yeah, I, I never heard of anything called a Polish zatar. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah, that's um, that's a uh, that's a thing. Like this is um. Um, let's say, like that's a, Zatar is a Middle Eastern uh, spice blend, uh, but this is very common but in Poland, but I think in other countries as well, like to adapt um, the recipes that come to your own country to your taste and make them more familiar. So that's what happened to, to Zatar. I tried the Polish Zatar, that are with Nigel Lassie and uh, Marjoram uh, at one of the Warsaw restaurants. And I really love it so much that I brought this idea to my own uh, kitchen I, and I started using it. I started creating my own Polish zatar and I topped my vegetables and other uh, dips with it. And it has such a marvelous taste that brings... Uh, to the fantasy, uh, it's a it's a dream of uh, Middle Eastern flavors, but also a Polish flavor. So it's exciting and uh, comforting at the at once. Um, so again, the opposite uh, uh, feelings, right? The excitement and the mm-hmm. uh, familiarity of the flavors. Well, you know, I mean, there, uh, we're, I'm having. Um, it's actually um, a sprouted cauliflower. It's not like your usual head um, for dinner. And, and you have a wonderful recipe for roast cauliflower in here that sounds divine. Um, and you, you take, like, ordinary things 
and and you have such a creative touch with them. Like you may actually get kids to like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Don't you think? Your Brussels sprouts, uh, roasted Brussels sprouts, are really good. Uh, and the oh, other yeah. thing, you, you love uh, eggplant, and and you, I'm with you. Is the roasted eggplant just takes a whole new twist on that vegetable? Um, I never heard of Polish duka. Did you make that up? Yeah, that's uh but first of all I you really know me so well. I love that plant. <laughs> it's one of my favorite uh vegetables. It's really the the texture of that plant after roasting or frying is so so velvety, it melts in the mouth and it's so up uh the flavors, the olive oil is is just wonderful. But um the Polish duka, um it's again as the the story the story is really Similar as with the Zatar, it's really uh, uh, a new idea of uh, making uh, other spice blends more familiar and more Polish um, and more accessible uh, to my taste and my pantry also. Um, yeah, so it's really a creative way of cooking. It's really like taking flavors and vegetables from all over the world, like vegetables from Poland, but the flavors and spices and sauces from all over the world, because they're already in Poland, but uh, they're not traditionally Poland, let's say. Right. They were brought to, to our country, let's say, 20, 30 years ago with immigration and globalization. Uh, but... Uh, the sense of cooking that you are you're using them and you're incorporating them uh, with your local taste and uh, products to create something new. Um, so that's why probably like because you are not the first person who said this is very creative. It's very exciting. Um, this is really this is really that what's uh, very. Um, inspiring, let's say, um, to create such a cooking and share it with other people. Um, so yes, and, and just um, I want listeners to just get a sense of the range of, of the uh, techniques that you're dealing with. The chapters, uh, listeners, um, go from raw to stovetop to steamed to smashed and blended to confit, to baked and roasted, um, to uh, charred. I love that one, that chapter two, charred, grilled, and pan-roasted. Pan-fried, deep-fried, infused and browned, fermented and preserved, and then sweet. Now, I mean, that's a culinary course uh, equivalent to the um, to um, the master's degree in cooking, I think. <laughs> um, so yeah, you, yeah. If well, you get the book, you can just learn everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, how did you go from a degree in sociology uh, to a, a, a career in food? And you know this. Um, I started cooking when I was nine years old, so I was just a little boy. 
uh, I always was such a greedy uh, foodie kid. <laughs> I, I love to eat. <laughs> I love to eat. And um, my mother uh, wasn't um, uh, like she's a great cook, but she doesn't experiment uh, that much uh, uh-huh. uh, in her own kitchen. So. As a kid, I was really um, uh, eager to try new things. So um, I was asking her to make something that I would see on TV. There was Nigella Love sometimes. I, we were watching her together. And uh-huh. I was asking my mother to, to make um, a cake that, she, that Nigella was making on the, her program. And my mother would say, like, oh, why wouldn't do it yourself? And I was nine years old. So I went to the kitchen and I started um, <laughs> baking the cake. And, you know, I followed Nigella recipe from eight, uh, from the beginning to the end. And it turned out just perfect. Um, and everyone loved it. Uh, I love it. I love the process of making it. So that's why I, I started, uh, that's how I started um, my journey in the kitchen. Um, and I was just developing this passion for when I was a teenager, but I come from a very um, education-centered family. My father is a professor, so it's okay. uh, very, nat- very natural for me to go to university. And you have to know that um, uh, education in Poland is free, so we don't pay for uh, university. So oh, nice. So people go. Uh, you know, it's very nice. Um, yeah. And, it's, and then, uh, but when I was uh, in uh, high school, I really, uh, I really am passionate about politics as well. So I decided to go uh, to study international relations. But at the time, also, I started my own food blog. And uh, in 2017, it was the year uh, I was starting uh, college. Uh, mm-hmm. I won Savor Magazine Awards, um, and then I, as a 19 years old uh, person, I signed my first cookbook deal with the experiment, the cookbook wow. deal for my first cookbook, Fresh from Poland, and my career started uh, going more quickly, that started developing more fast, uh, but I started uh, university, I didn't, I didn't want to give up. And I have to admit, I really love it. <laughs> I really, I'm, a, I'm, I'm really a person who likes to explore. And at university, especially in um, social field, you really read very interesting um, articles, really interesting books, and then you have environment, environment to talk about them. Yeah. So I didn't want to uh, give up that. So I was um, going on these two paths. Uh, writing a cookbook, uh, doing my uh, Instagram blog, and etc. And other path uh, studying, and but I knew that studying is just for fun. I didn't uh, plan to do anything with that. And when I graduated my bachelor degree, I immediately started master master degree in sociology because I was so interested in that. And then that's also a funny funny part of that. For my thesis, for my uh, bachelor and master degree, yeah. I wrote thesis about food culture. So uh-huh. my my, uh, my thesis uh, for international relations was about culture, uh, culinary diplomacy of Korea, right. Japan, and Th- Thailand. 
And then uh, my PC uh, for sociology, for my master's sociology, was about the correlation between um, political beliefs and um, your preference of eating. And I interviewed uh, uh, members of Polish parliament for that. So it was a huge deal, wow. <laughs> actually. Um, it was very interesting. Um, and I really enjoyed doing that. It finished, and when I finished uh, university, I really was thinking that maybe I should starting, start something new, like maybe, um, I don't know, a PhD. But then I thought, Michal, you really do a lot with your cookbooks, your, with your other creations, so enough is enough <laughs> in, that, <laughs> in, that, uh, in that term. So, um, so yeah, uh, it was I'm just an I'm waiting for, for, me, for you to tell me that your real goal is to be the Prime Minister or President of Poland. <laughs> uh, I am not Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, that's not my, in my dream, uh, definitely. Uh, I just prefer watching politics, you know, as a uh, commenter or like a... Um, just a um, civilian. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, to be honest. Uh, to be honest, I I love uh, I love cooking and the food culture so much. I cannot believe. Uh, I cannot imagine being in other place that I am right now. Now, have you traveled around? Or did these influences just pass into Poland? Um, I travel a lot, but I, in this book, uh, in these recipes, I really wanted to capture the global influences that are in Poland. So, um, for example, there are not many uh, Mexican influences because they are not very um, absent in Poland these, these days. Um, so that's why I didn't go in that uh, way. But Middle Eastern flavors, um, uh, Chinese and Japanese and Thai and uh, flavors that are like very, very uh, present uh, in Poland, in Polish, Polish, Polish food culture these days. Um, so that's why these recipes look like um, like this. Well, that's interesting because uh, traditionally, historically, Poland has always looked to the West. And, and you yeah. reverse that and look to the east. It's, uh, I was kind of, I, I was really impressed by that. This, this is very interesting what you what you are saying, uh, because I would say um, we are really uh, developing so fast, and we are really uh, look really really we are look really looking um, into the east uh, definitely, especially after. Poland um, became a member of um, um, uh, European Union. Yes, we are developing so fast, um, and especially, for example, so yes, yes, definitely. Um, but also, uh, there are like strong um, West um, influences in Polish culture and Polish food culture as well. There are many Ukrainians in Poland's space, especially after the... Yeah, there's a lot of them there right now. 
yes, there are like yeah. there are many like Polish people really um, gave them home and they really assimilate as well. Uh, so you can feel the Ukrainian touch very strongly. Uh, these days there are many Ukrainian restaurants, and you know, like our I would say also Poland uh, culturally traditionally is similar to Ukraine. Uh, for example, we have like the same national dishes, but uh, named differently. In Poland, we have pierogi, uh, uh, the pierogi with cheese and potatoes, and Ukrainians have vereniki, which is basically the same, but uh, different shaped. Um, so, um, but yeah, like they're really, they're really influencing us as well. But um, especially even with this uh, election that uh, were on Sunday, that's right. a very strong, um, very important date and a sign that Poland uh, will look into the East again uh, more strongly because maybe the last eight years were more in the shadow, um, but uh, I really believe that uh, it will change. Well, I mean, it, Poland has an amazing, glorious history, and um, I, I like to see it. I, I have this feeling that, that you tie all this together with your forward-looking um, culture, or food culture, um, and, and you have a, a freedom about your recipes that I really admire. I don't know how you come up with half of these ideas, but <laughs> never would I have ever imagined grilling apricots, for example. <laughs> it's such a wonderful thing. You have to check it out, especially with the tomatoes uh, and some um, uh, chili oil. It's such a wonderful co- combo. Like just imagine apricot, which becomes more soft and uh, gets a bit smoky uh, flavor. Yeah, you said that. <laughs> You write that. It just sounds so wonderful. Well, I'm I'm gonna I can't remember which is the cauliflower big cauliflower dish I'm doing tonight using your recipe. Where is that? I lost track of it, but it's in the it's in the book and it's roasted yeah, it's cauliflower. Roasted. Yeah, roasted cauliflowers with um chanterelle stuff and rice croutons. Um yeah, that's the recipe. That's it. That's it. Well, Michael, this has been a revelation to me, your cookbook and talking to you. And um, I I just uh, couldn't be happier with what you're doing. And I hope uh, our listeners uh, rush out and and get this book. It's polished or polished. It's P-O-L-I-S-H apostrophe D. And uh, it's, uh, is it Michael? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and yeah, and I really loved talking to you. Uh, you you must come and, and meet our friends at um, Apteca. Yeah, please. Uh, they don't they don't know me, but uh, please tell them I admire them and I love them so much. I will. Um, it was so. I was so. It was so nice uh, to talk to you. I had so much fun. Thank you. Well, thank you. Yes, and keep us keep us in your your um, contact list, okay? Yes, I okay. will. Um, Thank you. So, um, 
Um, so maybe see you. Uh, I'm coming to New York uh, for a book tour. I know you're uh, based in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, that's right, uh, you are. Yeah, because I, I talked uh, to Amy about that. So maybe yes, we could, maybe you can exciting. work in, if you come to Pittsburgh, we can uh, introduce you to your friends at Apteca. I that really thought about that. I, I really wanted to do something, something with Apteca, but in this, unfortunately, uh, 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 I have uh, um, the premiere of the um, uh, Polish edition of Polish in Poland uh, two weeks after, so we okay. don't have that much time to organize yeah, that. But uh, maybe next time. But, but for sure, I will keep it and time. keep I it on your to-do fun. list. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. Okay. okay, and I thank you so much for all the work you put into this, all your creativity, and and this wonderful conversation we've had. Thank you. Bye-bye. Did you turn it off? Rabbit. Did you turn it off? What's happening, Rabbit? Oh, shit. Did you turn it off? Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Hey, we're talking to Teresa Halliburton from Flower Co. Um, And it's... It may be confusing, but you look at it and you'll see that it's spelled F-L-O-U-W-E-R-C-O. And that's basically because it deals with flowers, right? It is. <laughs> Teresa. Yeah. Flowers yeah. and flower together. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, it, have you worked on, at the company since the beginning? Yes, actually, um, I'm a founder, so Kristen and I are uh, co-founders. Oh, great. Okay. Well, um, you, you produce a wonderful product line, and um, I'm, I must say that, that everybody realizes that since you got um, three gold so- Sophies at the, um, the Fancy Food Show in New York <laughs> City this past June... <laughs> Yeah, which is an accomplishment, first out, right? It is, it is. It's very exciting. I think Kristen and I both, um, not being from the food world, um, experience a lot of um, imposter syndrome. (laughs) And um, that made us feel really good that um, we could compete in those those, um, categories and, and take away some gold medals. So that was wonderful. Now, what did you you do before you grew up and got gold medals? (laughs) <laughs> um, actually, I'm a, I was pretty much a stay-at-home mom, and I also did contract work with the Department of Education. And then my business partner, Kristen, she was in finance and um, 
has worked for Goldman Sachs and then also worked with um, Coors. <clears throat> so oh, neither yeah, of no. us are from the food world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why, give us a peek behind the curtain here. Is What gave you the idea of, of entering um, this really competitive market of specialty food? Well, um, Kristen and I actually originally uh, were neighbors and we're friends and we would sit around and drink wine and entertain and, um, you know, we came up with an idea for a business um, doing charcuterie boards and grazing tables. I think our first um, kind of collaboration was for her sister's wedding and um, we did a giant oh, yeah. uh, table. Yeah, we did a giant grazing table for her sister's wedding and got so many compliments and just praise on our our um, skills that we thought, well, maybe we can do this as a business. Um, neither of us being super happy with um, the current jobs we were in and looking for something where we could um, kind of express our creativity and our passions. Um, I'm a little bit more on the garden side and Kristen's more on the gathering side, the party side. Um, <laughs> so um, we just kind of came together and, and mashed it all together. So we started originally as charcuterie board and grazing table caterers, um, and we were making our beautiful crackers um, for those just to kind of have the crackers stand out. We went through so many different crackers for our charcuterie oh, yeah. boards that just fell flat. You know, they're either too thick and, and dry um, or they're too thin and you can't scoop a cheese with them. Um, and, you know, the cracker is kind of a main, it goes with just about everything you eat on the charcuterie board. So you want it to have really wonderful, beautiful flavor and be a statement in itself. Um, and so that's how we developed the recipe for the crackers. Um, we actually have three well, flavors we, we, of crackers. Oh, go, ahead, go ahead. What are they? Um, so we have... Um, we have the number one, which is the one that you have tasted. Um, it's very dill and chive forward. Um, and then we have a aperitif, which is a beautiful cracker that has um, um, citrus zest and lavender and French tarragon in it. Wow. And then we also, yeah, we also have a papadi, which is more Indian flavors um, uh -huh. that have, you know, um, cumin and um, curry with some um, nigella seed. Um, we have not launched the aperitif and the papadi yet, um, simply because once we decided to go the manufacturing route with our number one crackers, um, we've been selling out, and we basically <laughs> produce as much as we can, and then try yeah. to, you know, and then the next week we're making for the orders that we have in place the following week. So it's been a little bit of like um, catch up in the manufacturing world, trying to keep up with orders and, and that and that. So um, hopefully we can find a co-manufacturer to take on our number one cracker, and then we can develop our other flavors, but um, that's the goal right now. <laughs> well, um, um, we went through the crackers very quickly. <laughs> they were really good. <laughs> um, um, the, you know, you, you talk about a, a highly competitive field. I mean, there are a gazillion crackers out there, you know, to compete with. Yeah, they really are. Um, you know, 
what we really focus on and lean into is our clean set of ingredients. Um, and then the beautiful colors from the that the flowers bring into our product. And also keeping the herbs and the flowers as whole as we can get them so that you can see what you're eating. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of crackers that put herbs in the dough and mix it up and you can't really see it. And there's such a beautiful, um, you know, especially the dill has such a feathery look to it. Mm -hmm. It's just nice to, to look at. Um, we eat first with our eyes, as you probably know, so you want something that really is beautiful and um, appetizing to eat. So that's, yeah, well, you, that's you how packaging, we by the way. Your packaging is really gorgeous, too. Oh, well, thank you. That's actually, um, Kristen is probably uh, packaging extraordinaire. She has a beautiful eye for packaging um so she has just ran with packaging right now and um yeah i i it's you know you can give a box of crackers as a gift put a little bow on top and that's your gift <laughs> well you know the, there's um there's such an integration between the packaging and your and your product i mean it's just so perfect and matched perfectly so um, it, 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 at least, you know, in a really crowded field, I mean, you have to stand out with what you have. And you apparently did to the, uh, to the many judges on, for the Sophie Awards. Um, so so you, you have, from what I know, you have three main categories. Um, you have the, um, the, the finishing sugars, uh, the garnishing salt, and also the, what we're just talking about with um, the crackers. And you also have cocktail cubes. Tell us mm -hmm. about those. Yep. So the cocktail cubes, um, it's essentially a flavored sugar cube. Um, and inside the sugar cube, we mix um, flower petals into the, the cube as well. So as it dissolves in your drink, you have these beautiful floating petals that you can also taste as you drink your, your cocktail. Um, we developed those to go along with Prosecco. Both Kristen and I are big Prosecco drinkers. <laughs> so, um, you were what? I missed that. You, you, you were Prosecco? what? Big Prosecco drinkers. Oh, okay. <laughs> we drink a lot of Prosecco. <laughs> um, so the flavors are all developed to go along with Prosecco, kind of to take place of that mimosa that you have on a set. Sunday morning, um, you can add as many cubes as you want. Um, they're one gram of sugar, so um, they're small enough to where you can have a very light finish of that flavor, or you can add, I like three in my glass of Prosecco, um, and then you really get that nice flavor, um, that flavor. Now, you can use those in just about any cocktail. I am a vodka drinker as well, so my favorite combination is a vodka tonic with three lavender lemon cocktail cubes oh, and a nice. slice of a wedge of lemon. Yeah, it makes for a really beautiful um, drink. So you just skip the simple syrup that you're making with a cocktail and you add your cocktail cubes and they melt and dissolve in your cocktail and give you that nice um, sweet flavor but um, with a floral hint to it. Um, if, if you walk through the gin or the vodka aisle in your local um, 
liquor store, you'll see that it's a really big trend right now to have floral flavors in vodkas and gins, and this just amps up that flavor. Um, actually, yeah, I know a there's a while that. ago, a, way, a while back, uh, we interviewed somebody, and I can't remember the company now, that there were little, um, what were they? They had uh, little flags on them, and they, you, you put them, they had flavors, and you put them in your um, your cocktail, um, like in a coupe, in a glass, um, uh-huh. and 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 it also colored the the like the champagne is what I used them for. No, it, it turns oh, it, yes. turns, uh-huh. it turns out, Federal Express just made a delivery. Uh huh. So so, what kind of white wine should we use? Oh. <laughs> Um, I would use a dry white wine, um, if I like a cava, which is a sparkling yeah. white wine. Yes, yes. Um, that's really nice with our cocktail cubes. Um, you can also use the finishing sugar. So if you're using the, you know, the lavender cocktail cube, you can rim your glass with the finishing sugar, and then you get that taste immediately on the tongue. So you get that flavor immediately on the tongue. Um, and that's really nice. Going into fall, um, I know we have a lot of old-fashioned fans out there, including uh-huh. my husband. <laughs> and wow. um, we all use the orange blossom marigold cocktail cubes in our old-fashioned. So those are really nice to you. Well, you, know, I, you really are onto something big, I think, here, Teresa. I mean, <laughs> it's a wonderful product. I mean, it, I, you well, wonder how we ever got along without it, you know. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. And we use all natural uh, colorants as well. So the color comes from plants. Um, for example, the lavender has butterfly pea flower in it to make it that really nice blue color. Um, the rose, we actually use ground up rose petals um, to bring out that pink, that pink color. Um, so we're trying to extract those flavors um, from the color as well. You know, you get the the color also adds a flavor to it. Um, so there's no artificial flavoring to colorings in the in the cubes or the sugars. You know, I, I once had a um, a patent attorney over some idea I had, which never went anywhere, having to do with tomato paste, which I won't go into. <laughs> but at any rate, um, it, he's, his wife, even though he was a, a, um, a, a, a patent attorney, um, she, way that we're talking back in the 70s, came up with multicolored sugar, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, not cubes, but sugar in different colors. And uh, mm-hmm. she could never get, it, it, essentially everybody stole it from her, and she never got to uh, take it to market. Uh, so he told me that, uh, he believed in an early full disclosure to get away from people stealing your idea. So um, it advised me to, to write to all these companies and write up front, say what my idea is. And so it, the reaction I got was, I got a letter back from the president of the company saying, I opened your letter but did not read it. <laughs> 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 this yeah. is a hard route, you know. So how did how did you go about protecting your idea? 
Oh, goodness. Um, you know, we are probably still in the process of doing that. Um, we have been, um, I, w- I don't want to say ripped off, that sounds so negative. We have been copycatted <laughs> um, uh-huh. out there. Um, and, you know, I think that uh, imitation is the highest form of flattery. Um, wow. Where we are hoping to excel is in our packaging, in our presentation, in our flavors, in our ingredient sourcing. We're really um, diligent, diligent about sourcing our ingredients. Um, so, you know, I, uh, um, we're trying, you know, you try not to get scared away by the imitators and just move forward and know that you have a superior product. <laughs> Where, where yeah. are you, by the way? We never, we never asked you. Maybe, oh, maybe where are we located? Yes. We're in Denver, Colorado. Oh, oh nice. Do, do, yeah. do, you, do you know the pe- people who are growing grapes and making wine in, <laughs> in, in southern... On the western slope? On the, uh, on the, yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. You know, I don't know them personally. I have met a few just at food shows and things like that, but um, I don't know them personally. But that is in our future. We're hoping to collaborate with some winemakers or some um, distillers. There are a couple of distillers as well here in Colorado that we'd love to collaborate with. Um, I send people to buy <laughs> their alcohol a lot to mix with our cocktail cheeses <laughs> and our fish and sugars. So it would be nice to do a collaboration with them. Oh, and it would be a natural. And it's right there, right at you. Now, I, I can see all kinds of directions you could be going in. Now, I went, when I talked to Kristen, she, she said that she was knee-deep or eye-deep in um, <laughs> new products. What, what new products? She wouldn't tell me. I guess you can't tell oh. me either. <laughs> <laughs> well, we absolutely want to make edible flowers as accessible as possible to the home baker. Um, so we're coming up with um, some packaged edible flowers that people can use in their their own cooking. Um, so developing um, just packagings and flavor profiles for those. Um, we'd love to develop. Um, we have recipes that we've used in our catering that we'd love to launch that also incorporate edible flowers and bring that color and beauty, that botanical flavor um, to everyone's palate. We have so many ideas. Well, I imagine, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's hard getting your arms around all of it, I guess. You know, it, it, it has been hard, I think, mostly for Kristen and I, because neither of us come from the manufacturing or the food world. So mm-hmm. trying to navigate, as you know, this big world, this very competitive world. Um, Cutthroat. Um, <laughs> Cutthroat world. It has been a bit challenging, but we've met some amazing people like yourself along the way, and it has made just all the difference. And, um, you know, I think when people taste our product and they experience kind of what Flower Co. means and what we're, what we're trying to go for, we, we definitely have some people that have tried to help us along the way. So that's been really nice as well. Yeah, I mean, I, the people in the, in the food community are like potentially extremes. Either they're going to be really coveting their own products and not sharing, 
uh, or, or they want to throw their arms around everybody in the in the uh, air, in the specialty food world. It's yeah. and they're interesting. I mean, that you'll find out uh, after a while. There's certain categories like I'm very fond of chocolate makers. They're such an interesting flock of people. <laughs> oh, if you have a chocolate maker that would love to make collaborate on a flower chocolate, send them our way. That's one of the ideas we have that we'd love to develop. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I, mm, I, I, a number of people come to mind right away, actually, um, of that. That would be um, wonderful. Maybe I'm going to make a note on your, in your paperwork to send you some, connect you up with some, some chocolatiers. I mean, they're really interesting people. A lot of them came from other fields. Yeah. You know, we were making um, bark for our charcuterie boards and our grazing tables with, with um, pressed edible flowers in them. That was just stunning. And um, we, I would love to develop that. We're just not chocolatiers, and I think both Kristen and I are so swamped with trying to manage all the different things that we can't seem to develop our own skills on certain, you know, we can't become a chocolatier. <laughs> and it's not easy. And the business and the, yeah, it's a bit challenging. Chocolate <laughs> we making is really specialized, I think. I mean, it's, it, so many things can go wrong with chocolate making. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and I have had it go wrong. <laughs> you, you've tried, you've tried it. <laughs> we, you know, we make some um, seasonal items for our shop. Um, so we make um, dried citrus fruit dipped in chocolate with dipped in petals. That's just beautiful. Um, oh my! And we do that. Yeah, we do that for our store um, seasonally. Um, so we and then when we were doing our charcuterie boards, we were making white chocolate bark and dark chocolate bark with um, flowers pressed in um, that just had a beautiful look and flavor profile. Um, so yeah, it, when you say you're, when it, you're making <laughs> your chocolatier boards, what do you mean by that? You actually making the boards or composing the no, boards the or what? No, charcuterie boards. When we were making charcuterie boards, we would add, you know, slices of chocolate bark to the charcuterie boards. <clears throat> I mean, you, so we would. You don't actually make the charcuterie boards. It's just the concept of the charcuterie yeah. board. Right, the food on the charcuterie boards. <laughs> uh huh. And what do you? Yeah. How do you do that? You you just think it up and outline it. We do. Um, you know, Kristen is actually a charcuterie extraordinaire, um, and she's wonderful about putting flavor different flavors together. And um, it's like an art form, right? You know, pla- yes. where do you place the place the olives versus where do you put the teats, where do you put the all the little dried fruits and things like that. So um, it's just an art form. Um, she does a wonderful job. When it, you do this, you've mentioned a shop. You actually have a shop. We do, we do. When we moved into our current kitchen, our manufacturing kitchen, um, it had a small uh, retail component to it. Um, we opened that last year in November. Um, so we do test market new products in there. We also carry specialty food products, um, home goods, glasses. We sell our plants. We sell our um, 
our seeds. You still plant. Yeah, edible flower plants. Uh huh. Yeah. Really. (laughs) Yeah. So we'd like to be from garden to gathering. So all inclusive, you know, um, entertaining supplies. Glassware, knives, uh, cutting boards. Oh, you do all of that! Wow. So you you really have a huge. How many people do you employ? Currently, we have um, about sixteen employees. Uh Um, That includes our baking staff and then also our um, shop staff. Okay, and 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 you do. a lot of catering, apparently, huh? Well, that's how we originated. We no longer do catering. Um, we took that off the <laughs> the board. Right. Um, yeah. We don't want to spread ourselves too terribly thin. So um, we no longer do catering. We have lots of friends in the catering business that we can direct people to if they're looking for a local Denver caterer that uses our products and that um, uses edible flowers, you can definitely, um, you know, point people in the right direction. Now, where do you get your your flowers? I mean, you're, you're talking volume now, which I didn't realize how large an operation it was. <laughs> it is. Correct. So, um we actually source our ingredients from an herb company or and tea companies. That's where you find a lot of the edible flower petals. We do use the dried in our baking process um, and then also in the cubes. So everything's dried so that it's shelf-stable um, and, um, you know, it still has that nice color and, and um, flavor. Yeah. I just I just read an article about a um, a woman who became enamored of um, house plants, uh, oh. and um, yeah, and one during the uh, you know the pandemic, and she realized mm-hmm. this was really her passion, and um, so she was looking around, and and she found a, a brick and mortar place, but things kept getting in her way. And she finally hit upon somebody, uh, I forget where from, uh, who actually had a mobile uh, plant business. And so that's the model she's using now. She has a a van with houseplants, and she goes around, and she can also take care of somebody's houseplants as well as sell them houseplants. And then she saw somebody else too. But, you know, once you start thinking out of the box, like you guys are doing, I mean, the sky's the limit, right? Correct. That's that's what we're hoping. <laughs> I mean, edible flowers, as your husband probably knows, are really popular in you know Australia or in England, but they're not so much popular here in the United States. So it's it's nice to kind of introduce people to that to that concept and to introduce people to those flavors. Right. Um, but what what do you think is like an edible plant that that you really like working with that most people don't ever think about? My favorite edible flower plant is the nasturtium. Um, oh, really? And okay. I would say it's so easy to grow. It's absolutely beautiful. I've grown it inside. I've grown it outside. Um, and you can use the whole plant. So you can use the flowers 
You can use the leaves. You can use the seed pods. Um, the seeds make these amazing, you can tickle them, and they're called poor man's capers. Um, wow. I, like to make, <laughs> I like to make a gin martini with nasturtium-infused gin. And they then, taste um, like capers? They taste like capers? They, they do taste like capers. They're a little bit more spicy, though. Nasturtiums have a really strong um, radish flavor to them. So if you brine them first before you pickle them, it, kind of, it gives them that nice saltiness that a caper has. Um, so that's a really wonderful um, recipe to make. Um, gifts I've yeah, I'm surprised that you picked that because I went through a phase where I was planting nasturtiums all over the place because they were supposed to be insect repellents, like a natural mm -hmm. uh, insect repellent. So I would mm -hmm. intersperse them with tomato plants and things like that. But I found out I hated the flavor. <laughs> I never knew what oh. to do with all the nasturtiums. <laughs> I mean, I knew they were edible, but I didn't, I didn't like the flavor. Different varieties have different um, potencies. Um, and, I, you know, a great recipe for the flour is just stuff it with some, some a really nice rich cheese, like a goat cheese or even... Um, like a cream cheese with a sour cream mixed together with an herb mixture. Um, and it makes just a wonderful um, presentation for an appetizer. And then the, the, my kids actually, their favorite is um, you take the leaves and you um, co lightly coat them with some olive oil wow. and sprinkle some garlic salt on top and bake them till they're crispy. And they make um, what they call them lily pad chips. <laughs> and what? And they're called lily pad chips. They look, they're oh, yeah. a chip, kind of like a kale chip. I would uh -huh. equate it to a kale chip, but it's out of the nasturtium leaf, um, and it just has a wonderful spicy flavor. <laughs> you know, you're talking me into maybe trying it again because this was back <laughs> a long time ago, and I can't even remember why I disliked the flavor so much. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. There's so cool. many, though, I mean, that we don't even realize are edible. You know, daylilies taste like a green bean when they, before they bloom. You just pick the bud, dip what it in that? Uh, a daylily. Oh, yeah. Um, I, have, I, I have them growing yeah. all over the place. Yeah. So if you pick them as the bud and then you dip them in a batter um, yeah. and fry it, uh, give it a nice douse with our garnishing salt um, and it makes just a wonderful appetizer. Dip it in like a, a nice um, aioli. But then or... you don't get the flour. It's, I never could figure that out. I mean, I understand <laughs> with zucchini blossoms because my mother was a gardener and she used to use the paintbrush and she would pollinate um, the, the, the um, female plants and then cook the the male blossoms so she would oh, still right. get yeah she would still get the fruit the uh, the zucchini you know uh, yeah but she would she would also have the blossoms and so i understand that i mean are nasturtiums the same or are they the same i think i just plant so many that i don't mind <laughs> <laughs> 
So what you you seem like there's so much. What do you need to actually um, crystallize your plans for this? You have so many ideas. I mean, is it a matter of a, more, a bigger market or more funding or what? Well, currently we are in um, search of a co-manufacturer for our crackers. We have quickly re- outpaced our our production facility, um, and so I think that's our number one priority right now is to find a manufacturer who would take on um, our crackers and we can start to then develop other products. <clears throat> that's our, our number one priority. Our only focus right now is getting those um, crackers. Uh, I mean, we make crackers a.m. till 8 p.m. every day um, and still are in big demand. <laughs> so, um, you know, and both Kristen and I have families and small children and we'd like to also still be moms and <laughs> wives and all that fun stuff, but, you know. <laughs> but they always say, you know, if you want to get something done, get a busy mom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, now, so, you know, what, where do people in the meantime get your products? So, um, our biggest, um, our biggest source of um, gift shops and grocers. Um, if if someone is a small gift shop owner or grocer, they can find us on Fair F A I R E. It's an online oh, okay. distributor. Um, And then we are in the Rocky Mountain region of Whole Foods. Uh, They can find us in the Rocky Mountain region of Whole Foods, hoping to expand into more Whole Foods as we can grow into that new production phase. Um, Where else? You do online? shop online. We do do online. We're in the midst of launching a new website, so um, they might find currently that things are a bit sold out, but um, that should change here in the next couple of weeks. We're launching our new website and everything will be put up on the website. That's always a nightmare, that new website thing. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. And very expensive. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I don't know where you're going to find the time to keep doing all that you're doing and there's so many things that need your attention and and there's so much promise in everything you're doing i'm very very impressed with where you are teresa halliburton um, again oh, uh, listeners there's flower co it's f-l-o-u-w-e-r-c-o one word dot com right that's correct that's correct right and um and and we can't yet get them at Whole Foods, but we're hoping, right? <laughs> yes, we're hoping. We're hoping. <laughs> Just ask okay. for it at your specialty grocer, um, and they can find us on fair. We do ship directly to specialty grocers as well. So um, if you have a specialty grocer that you like, just tell them about our company and they can find us on, on the Internet or um, on fair, and we'd be happy to to ship them couple cases okay. so <laughs> um do, do, 
it, if you like collaborations, you know, so many people, that's the way everyone's going now with collaborations. Um, if you're looking to collaborate with the spice company, check out Burlap and Barrel. Okay. I actually heard that on one of your other podcasts. I will definitely check them out for sure. Oh, they're wonderful. Yeah. We we work with them all the time, and they're just wonderful. So, I mean, their their mind's in the right place, their heart's in the right place, and, you know, they just do things the the best. I can't recommend them enough. And I'm going to send you chocolatiers. I have some very favorite ones. Oh, wonderful. We'll do that next. Um, And in the meantime, um, take a deep breath. Well, thank you so much. It's been such an honor to talk with you and to um, be introduced to your wonderful podcast. Yeah, it is. It really is. (laughs) Okay, Teresa Halliburton from Flower Co. Keep up the good work. And hello to Kristen. Okay, Okay. thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye.